Now you truly can rewrite your future with these powerful prevention techniques. Going from feeling hopeless in your health to feeling confident. To bring information and unleash the potential of our listeners to ask the right questions. It's my responsibility to take control of my own health. Welcome to the Ask Why Medicine podcast. Welcome to Ask Why Medicine podcast. I'm Laura and I'm here with my colleagues today as we are going to be asking why you should say yes to further testing. And I think this is a number one question that patients ask both on the medical side as well as the dental side is a lot of patients ask, why should I have that further testing done? And the reason I want to say, say yes is that stop guessing and start testing. I hope that motto sticks with you today as we discuss this in depth on testing. And I kind of want to kick it off from my standpoint here with my two dental colleagues, Dr. Whit Wilkerson and Patty DeMattis. Um, from the dental standpoint, the top three tests, and we'll go more into testing. I think I just want to open up with medical history. We start with testing, asking you some very questions by taking your blood pressure when you're in the chair. So we're immediately what we call testing for that. And we want you to say yes, because we're screening you. So we're going to kind of dive deep. Why do we even want to do a blood pressure to even have dental colleagues, myself included, Patty here with us doing blood sugar tests, just a simple glucose um, test, you know, finger stick prick at the chair. And so why would you want to say yes to that as well? So I'm going to open that up to my colleagues here just to address those two as we dive deep into further testing. Okay, Patty, you're deep into diabetes. You love doing those finger stick pricks. Tell us what that really means. If some a patient just comes in, we're going to go through medical history, and they've never had that done before. Um, it's really interesting that a lot of patients don't really even know what A1C is because we don't use it until uh, the patient is actually diagnosed with uh, diabetes, which we know is way too late, which is the message that we want to get out there. Um, so we really do it. Um, there's a lot of dental clinicians that won't treat a dental patient until they know exactly where the blood sugar is, especially if it is a diabetic patient. But otherwise, there's so many people, we know there's so many patients out there that are um, insulin resistant or diabetes, um, diabetics, and they don't really know it. So this is a wonderful, almost courtesy on our part to help people find out um, if they may be having an issue with their blood sugar level. And so it's really um, interesting how patients just sort of, you know, question, like, why would you want to know where my blood sugar is? Um, I don't have diabetes in my family or, you know, any of those issues. And so just like when we take blood pressures, like it's partly a courtesy. It's partly just to make sure that we're treating you properly while you're here in the office. Um, so, you know, that's why. That's why we would do such an easy little test. And so we could even have the patient do it themselves. You know, it's just a little finger prick. Um, let me add that a hemoglobin A1C really is looking at the chronic elevated levels of sugar that is free in your bloodstream connecting with your red blood cells. And so it's interesting as we're thinking about the age of pandemic, um, what would it take to create a pandemic? Is it 10% of people have something or 15% or 20%? Um, a colleague of ours that we respect very much Dr. Susan Maples in Holt, Michigan, 
she did a specific finger stick test for hemoglobin A1C back in 2016 in her practice as just a pilot study to see what percentage of patients in her practice had elevated blood sugar levels that didn't know it, that weren't known to be diabetic. And interestingly, it was more than 20% had either elevated blood sugar levels that we would call pre-diabetic or full-blown diabetic. Um, The challenge today is that people aren't being tested in general. They're not going to their physicians. They're not having physicals. They're not annually being evaluated for blood work or most anything else. And so we feel in dentistry uh, that we're on the front lines to be screeners and testers for these important things. And as we've mentioned before, diabetes is one of the most serious things that can be going on chronically in your body to break it down. We compare it to being like shards of glass scraping the walls of your arteries all day if it's unresolved. And so to pick up even one person who maybe pre-diabetic or diabetic, and be able to implement a a protocol or to be proactive in trying to reverse that is a huge thing. And so um, we feel that it's very important with how widespread this is that we be screening everybody for that. I would just add to that also, Dr. Wilkerson, that in this inflammatory world that we all live in, we know that blood sugar issues, even if you don't know that you have blood sugar issues, so to speak, uh, are a tremendous source of inflammation. As you said, it's really at an epidemic level, but people are walking around never testing, not even knowing. It is becoming more and more common to check blood pressure in the dental office, but blood sugar, not so much. And I think it's an important point because we know the statistics that more people are going regularly to their dental hygienist and to their dentist than they are even to their primary care physician. More and more people are going to urgent care when they have a problem and really don't have a primary care physician. Or even if they do, it's it's that old mindset of just you go when you're sick or maybe once a year. Whereas a lot of people are committed to every three months or every six months going to their dental office and getting those checks. So when we see more and more um, the dental offices embracing this blood sugar, blood pressure, and even further testing, um, definitely lives are being saved. So the earlier you find out that you have a problem with blood sugar, the better it is. Because as you mentioned, Dr. Wilkerson, the shards of glass on the inside of the arteries and this whole inflammatory cascade that that process brings about Uh, you want to know just as early as possible. I know that a lot of pediatricians are offering more in-depth blood sugar analysis in the children younger and younger. Uh, We just want to pick it up as early as possible. Both the schools of thought, if you will, in terms of dementia prevention and in terms of cardiovascular disease, cerebral vascular disease, or heart attack and stroke prevention, both speak or all speak in depth about this glucotoxicity source of inflammation. So there's many ways to to evaluate this today. The simple finger stick blood sugar, which we've talked about, the hemoglobin A1C, which is either a blood draw or some places you can get that as a finger stick as well to give you the three-month average of your blood sugar. Uh, And then, of course, in the world of technology that's available at our fingertips today, you can also easily get a continuous glucose monitor. You just stick it on and you can see what your blood sugar is every five minutes over the course of two weeks. 
And the reason that that's important is because one's response to food, not just glucose, not just carbohydrates, but your blood sugar response to food at one hour and two hours after ingesting food is an early indicator that there's a problem. The other thing that's interesting to see with these continuous glucose monitors is stress, lack of sleep, deoxygenation at night. Um, When you get more of a comprehensive look, you can really start to understand that there's a lot involved in this insulin glucose regulation. But for those that are listening, say yes to getting a finger stick blood sugar or hemoglobin A1C at your dental office and go to your local uh, grocery store, pharmacy, wherever you like to shop and just pick up what's called a glucometer yourself. Uh, Take it home and get a blood sugar first thing in the morning. The instructions are very simple, very clear how to just use a little lancet. Sounds kind of scary to some people, but once you do the first one, most people come back to me and say, oh, that really wasn't bad. Um, You can get a blood sugar first thing in the morning, and then we recommend that you also get it one hour after breakfast and two hours after breakfast or your whatever your first meal is. A lot of people are doing intermittent, intermittent fasting and things. So when you have your first meal, get that blood sugar one hour and two hours after the meals. And just so you'll know, for those of you that are going to go out and buy the finger stick blood sugar machine called a glucometer, you want that one hour reading to be less than 125 and you want the two hour reading to be less than 120. In other words, your body should efficiently use that and then quickly go back to normal. Use it for energy, use it for health of all your cells, and then quickly return to normal. So um, that's a little tidbit about a little at-home use, but for those of you that are going to the dentist this week or next week or have an appointment, ask them if they do that, if they don't mention it to you. That is perfect. So great, huge take-home. And I want to say, let's come right back to that blood pressure. We have a lot of patients say, oh, I already have my blood pressure taken. You don't need to take it. Um, Or it's always high because I have white coat syndrome. So I really want to come to that because, again, I say this is such a great screening um, and to say yes to that because these numbers can really indicate, you know, huge problems that could be going on. So I would love to just talk about every everyone just why that's important and what those numbers were really looking for. The um, blood sugar, the top number or the systolic reading should be less than 120. We also have studies to suggest that blood sugar, uh, we're on blood pressure now, (laughs) that blood pressure, the top number should be less than 125 first thing in the morning, because oftentimes blood pressure goes up. Sometimes in many people, you get your highest reading in the morning. So if that top number, the systolic is less than 125, when you first roll out of bed in the morning, that's a good finding. You want the bottom number below 80. And really on average throughout the day, the top number systolic below 120 and the bottom number below 80 is ideal. And when I say ideal, meaning you may not feel it today, you may not feel it tomorrow, you may feel perfectly fine, but just like we were speaking about this damaging effect of the blood sugar, when your blood pressure is elevated, even above those numbers, 
a lot of people will accept 140 as not too bad on the top, but we have strong data, multiple studies to, to um, give us an evidence-based approach saying that if your blood pressure is not routinely less than 120 on the top, then it's not a matter of if you'll get dementia, it's a matter if you'll live long enough to get dementia. It is damaging those micro blood vessels in the brain, those tiny, tiny, tiniest of arteries. And so they start to get damaged over time, not only in the brain, the same thing is occurring in the rest of the body, the heart, the kidneys. Uh, so blood pressure, um, we, we don't need to take it lightly and be kind of nonchalant about a reading that's even in the 130s or the 140s routinely over time. So that's your target, less than 125 on the top first thing in the morning. Ascend 120 on average throughout the whole day, and you want the bottom number always less than 80. One of the things that most people think is that as you age, your blood pressure naturally goes up, and that's not a negative sign. It's just a normal sign of aging, and yet what we're hearing from the experts today is that actually your blood pressure doesn't need to go up as you age if you're vascular system is wide open and healthy. Um, Gina, tell us a little bit about what causes a rise in blood pressure over time. So there definitely are some people that have a genetic predisposition for problems with blood pressure, but it's, we know DNA is not your destiny. And so you don't have to accept that. Lifestyle factors are the number one reason people have high blood pressure. Things such as an unhealthy diet, uh, too much processed foods, number one, too many um, carbs, crappy carbs, I call them, excuse the term, but carbohydrates that aren't from healthy whole foods. So anything out of a box, anything out of a can, a lot of fast food. That's one of the number one reasons that over time people develop high blood pressure. And of course, we have to watch our waistline and we have to watch our weight. Um, we know that even five to 10 pounds, particularly in women, but men as well, a five to 10 pound weight gain or weight loss can make a huge difference in blood pressure. For sure, 20 pounds can make a big difference. So someone that's been kind of accepting of a 10 pound, 10, 15 pound fluctuation over the course of years and kind of has been just accepting a blood pressure of 130 over the course of several years, just no damage is occurring. We can now look inside the body and know that that's true. But to get back to your question, sleep issues, deoxygenation at night. And when I say that, that maybe isn't a really common term, but you don't have to have full-blown, for lack of a better word, classic sleep apnea. We know that even in children, there can be sleep-disordered breathing, it's called, where you have a reduction in the ideal intake of oxygen and output of carbon dioxide. That's putting it very simply, but gas exchange. So Dr. Bredesen in the world of dementia prevention and reversal says we're strangling the brain, and that's really a great way to put it. Even these small amounts, people that come back with mild sleep apnea on a sleep test, for example, we're still suspicious about that. And we want to dig deeper because a mild, a few episodes of your oxygen level reducing at night isn't something to take lightly. So in this 
Ask Why podcast. Keep asking why. Why does my oxygen level go down? We know you want your oxygen level to be 95 to 100 all night long. So if you've got two or three or five or 10 episodes on your home sleep study or your formal sleep study where that oxygen level is 90 or 93 or in the 80s for sure, but even anything below 95, you want to keep asking why. Get another one in six months, uh, lose some weight, work on your stress level, work on your sleep hygiene, um, exercise. Exercise is the best medicine for blood pressure and many, many other things. So we all need to not only exercise, build muscle, move the body, but any movement is important. So the person can be a professional athlete or even a just competitive athlete or a, um, you know, even if they're not competing, just at the athletic level but sit at a desk job all day and still be at high risk for high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease and dementia because they're so sedentary the rest of the day. So we all need to move uh, more often. Um, of course, we know to stop smoking. And I would, I would say one that um, is often left off the list is we kind of lump it into the category of psychosocial issues, but mental health issues, stress, uh, poor relationships. And I would even go so far as to say lack of laughing, lack of enjoyment in life, uh, lack of joy, lack of spending time with your friends or having those supportive relationships in your community. You know, there's a study that suggested even the person that simply was kind and spoke to the doorman at your apartment complex, just speaking to our com people in our community, right? Our neighbors, uh, whether you're good friends or not, we just need to embrace joy more and embrace uh, relationships with other people who are connected because we're all on this earth. And so uh, less hate and more love. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox and I'll stop preaching. Back to you, Dr. Wilkerson. Get us back to the science. That is science, but I kind of elaborated. No, I love your preaching. And it's so true um, because we, in this whole discussion want to look at the whole person and so that is mind body and spirit and uh, the stress levels that we have can certainly elevate uh, the release of stress hormones that can be very damaging to even our blood pressure and so uh, all of this works you know closely together and that's 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 our whole point patty tell us other things that you and laura are doing with testing in a dental office as dental hygienist? Well, like Laura started in the beginning, we our motto has been stop guessing and start testing. And um, my dental colleagues out there that are not doing this testing don't feel uh, like, you know, you're not doing a, the right thing. It's all, it, this is a huge movement. And um, testing has been the biggest change that I've seen in dentistry in 40 years. Uh, because we have been guessing and we've been going on signs and symptoms of disease. And just uh, for instance, periodontal disease, um, we have been diagnosing that with just our measurements, just in the mouth measuring and looking at how much bone, um, blood, bleeding there was. And that's pretty much a subjective kind of decision on uh, the diagnosis of our patient's disease. And so now we know that even people who don't have bleeding in pockets and really bad 
looking periodontal disease can have uh, really bad pathogens that can be making them sick and they don't know it. We don't know it either unless we test. And so we have, I think we mentioned before, there's several companies out there that do this testing and it has certainly made a difference, not only in able, being able to make the right diagnosis and make an objective diagnosis, but also to um, know how to treat and how successful we've been with treating um, our patients. So just um, that it just gives us the answer to so many things that we didn't have before. So testing has really made a huge difference in, in how we treat what we know and um, how we can get better outcomes for our patients. Looking at dentistry is sort of a frontline provider of um, primary care. I know you all have done some work in Ohio with CIMT, looking at the carotid arteries. Tell us a little bit about what you've done there and Gina, of course, too. Well, talking about those bacteria, you know, when we have the bacteria driving the inflammation, um, that we know there's many, many studies and much information out there every day about how those bacteria can drive the inflammation and the heart disease and the stroke um, in the artery wall. And so um, we have, especially the ones of us who are practicing heart attack and stroke prevention, we actually have a test. It's just a simple ultrasound test that we can look at the artery wall, uh, not the flow of the blood through the artery like a water hose, but the actual wall that's very vulnerable and thin and important. It's it's our barrier against disease. And um, we know that the oral bacteria can actually wind up there um, and cause inflammation and even uh, more infection and just a cascade of breakdown and uh, start to cause the plaque, which can cause a blood clot. The body tries to heal itself. And uh, then those blood clots can actually cause an event if all of this goes haywire. So finding out as early as we can, the CIMT picks that up, the earliest stage um, of disease. And so um, that's, we do that as an early, early preventive screening for atherosclerosis. So I know people have heard me explain this before, and it's just my best analogy. I always say having younger kids, watching them bounce on that trampoline, um, you know, just really mindful was watching one morning, drinking my coffee outside during the pandemic and the mom got on and the two kids. And I kept thinking, oh my gosh, we trust this thin little lining to keep us safe. There's nothing on the sides. There's this little layer going on and everybody's bouncing, screaming, having fun. And I literally heard a shriek and I turned and saw the mom and her two young children fall through and they're kind of trapped and, you know, she hit the ground. And to me, all I kept thinking is, this is why we say yes to testing. And those of you who know me are laughing that I'm going to look at a trampoline and relate it to our epithelium lining. But that's exactly what I want you to know is going on. As a hygienist, that's all I saw was these bacteria making their way and getting into a bloodstream. Just like we expect that little thin lining to protect our children or our family when we're jumping, we're expecting this thin lining from our coating of our mouth all the way down our esophagus, into our stomach, into our intestines to completely protect us from invaders. And invaders are multiple things. One of the things that we're talking about is bacteria. 
And so I love this term that Dr. O'Reilly really to me put out there was, you know, periodontal disease is really leaky gums, which is really the same thing as leaky gut. We're expecting this lining to protect us and not allow these toxins and bacteria to make their way. So we want to say yes to what Patty's talking about to these two tests and they go hand in hand. And I'll say this term over and over. I always say from airway to pathogens to plaque. I'm going to say it again, just so we can all register. You know, you're saying yes. And we heard a little bit, Dr. Pritchard talk about, you know, you need to get a sleep test. So that's one of those screenings. We need to check our airways. And with our airway, Dr. Whit Wilkerson can go into that, but not only checking from a sleep test standpoint for oxygen saturation, but then also doing a cone beam to look at the anatomy, the anatomy of that airway, the anatomy of how we're breathing, and then going into that function and bite in relationship to all of that that the dentist needs to do. So those tests are so important. And then we're going into pathogens, talking about these saliva tests that these are the pathogens that we want to know are leaky gums. Did they make their way not only into what we say the number one problem is, is periodontal disease. These pathogens will tell you then that you have a serious problem. You have an infection, not only in the tissue, but in the bone. And so the consequence of that happening in your mouth and your gum tissue is then it's making its way where else. That's what we want to know is making its way all the way into our bloodstream. Once that happens, like Patty's talking about, then we perform and we really want to say a solution. Of course, we need dental treatment and there's all kinds of great treatments. But the CIMT scan that Patty so eloquently was talking about is then what's really needed as the next step to say yes to testing is to find out, are these bacteria and toxins now accumulating in my arterial walls? And so I think, again, that whole kind of leaky concept of allowing bacteria, allowing toxins uh, really can hit home because it's not just that cholesterol, like she's saying, that's building up there. So it's kind of like this progressive yes and testing. Yes, I want to get my blood sugar. We want to know because Dr. Whit Wilkerson said, hey, that's creating little shards of glass. If that's already beating up my thin lining, like that trampoline you're bouncing on, well, I already have now some tears, so it's weakened. Now I'm going to put in, do I have these pathogens? I want to say yes to that testing. And so are they making their way into my tissue and bone and then into that bloodstream? I want to say yes to my blood pressure because, right, that's now putting pressure on these arterial walls and, right, just the entire system in general, that then I want to know, okay, have they made their way into the arterial wall along with many other things that Dr. Pritchard can talk about from cholesterol to these pathogens and that CIMT carotid intermediate thickness scan can let us know. And then I say it brings us right back to that airway. If I'm not getting oxygen, then I'm growing more pathogens. I'm growing more pathogens. I'm building up more plaque. And that plaque can be in many places. So I know that's a lot of tests on there, but kind of wanted to bring it home because we talked about, you know, from just saying yes to simple blood pressure that we can take at home. Dr. Pritchard explained simple 
blood sugar test that we can do. And I would urge everyone to go out and do that. I say it's a fun family event that you can do. I'll eat dinner, play cards, and then see where your blood sugar is an hour or two hours later. See who the winner is. They get to eat the cake, nobody else. Um, and then we can go to saying yes to not be afraid to have our sleep test at our dental office, to have that cone beam to check the anatomy and to have our saliva test which then leads to, hey, is this having a huge impact on me systemically, which we will talk in our next episode, then picking up with the CIMT scan of how they make their way, and then the impact that has on other tests that we need for our systemic health. So thank you, everyone, for listening to us today on the Ask Why Medicine podcast. Please subscribe to our channel, listen on your favorite podcasting channel, and follow us on social media as well, Ask Why Medicine. And until next time, keep asking why. Why?